appreciated. Good morning, church. How are you? Good. It is good to see you today. Listen, I am glad that we get a chance uh, to worship this morning. Hey, grab your Bibles if you will. Let's jump straight on in uh, to Proverbs chapter 9. Uh, Proverbs chapter 9 is where we're going to be today as we continue our series uh, studying the book of Proverbs. And hopefully you've been tracking along with us the past couple weeks. But if this is your first week, welcome. Glad you guys are here uh, and excited to jump, jump in. Uh, Proverbs chapter 9 uh, is where we're going to be in just a second, starting in verse 1. Uh, look, as we've been jumping into this book, we've really been getting an overview. How do you study this very interesting book? Because it's different than a lot of the other books in the Bible. We need to understand how do you engage it. As you've been reading this week, we've gone through 10 chapters as a church now through our reading plan. We'll read through the entire book before that we're done. Uh, but, but how do you do that? How am I supposed to take all of this, uh, th this information and really translate it into wisdom in my life? And so we're kind of giving you an overview, and we'll do that this week. Next week, we'll really start jumping into some of the more specifics of all the Proverbs. But we've learned some very important things so far. First off, uh, we found out that this is a book of wisdom. Right? And wisdom is different than just straight moral instruction. These aren't just rules. This isn't just right and wrong. It's, it's wisdom. And we gave a definition for that. Wisdom is practical understanding for navigating reality. Wisdom is practical understanding for navigating reality. How do you handle all the thousands of situations you and I are going to find ourselves in that do not have a specific biblical command attached to it? How do you deal with 21st century technology? How do you deal with 21st century problems? When those things are not going to be specifically referenced in Scripture, well, you need wisdom. You need spiritual wisdom to know how to discern and to guide and to navigate life. And that's what Proverbs is. It's a, it's a book of practical understanding to help us navigate life. But this is not a book of promises. We learned this early on. This is general truth. Right? So it's also a little bit different from some other places in Scripture. Uh, this isn't giving us rock-solid, every-single-situation kind of truth. No, as you, you delve into wisdom, we get general truth about reality. But there are always going to be a couple exceptions to those. But uh, we didn't say this before. This is probably important to say as well. As we get into all of the individual Proverbs, you'll notice a lot of repetition. Sometimes randomly, they'll move from this topic to that topic, and then they'll come back to this topic and say something very similar. And there's a reason for that. Uh, this book was originally studied in community, and it was studied front to back, just like we're reading it front to back. And so what happens is, as you read more Proverbs, you get a little bit of nuance every single time you read a new proverb. So you read this proverb about relationships, and then later on you get a little bit more nuance about a different kind of that same relationship, and a little bit more nuance a little bit later on about the same kind of relationship. So the wisdom builds over time as you navigate more situations. But you're using wisdom to guide you in the midst of this. Uh, but wisdom is this practical understanding of our navigating life. Last week we found out that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. If you want to walk in wisdom, we need to walk in the fear of the Lord. And that fear is not a, a terror. It's not scared. We're not afraid of God. Instead, what we mean by the fear of the Lord is this, this reverence, this respect for the Lord. You don't just traipse into the holy of holies. There ought to be a reverence for the God who created everything. And yeah, we're, that's, we're a little bit scared, but it's more of just a, a respect and a reverence. But that's not all. Attached to that is this awe and the wonder, the grandeur of God, as well as a loving trust. 
Because this is a God who can be known, a God who knows you, a God who loves you. And when you wrap all that up, you get the fear of the Lord. We do not live our lives as if God did not exist. We do not live our lives as if God only applies here in this room or on Sunday morning or in certain areas of our life. No, we live in the fear of the Lord, knowing that our actions will be judged, that we need him, that he created things and not us. And so we live our lives in the fear of the Lord. This week, and, and again, this is just kind of an overview, but to, to help us understand the old book, we need to, to learn about two different groups that are spoken of consistently in the book of Proverbs. And these two groups really comprise everyone and really define kind of the, the poles of what happens with wisdom. Uh, those two groups are the wise and the foolish. What we're looking for in the book of Proverbs is that we would stop being foolish and instead that we would become wise people. That's the purpose of the Proverbs. But at any point, we're going to find ourselves moving between these two poles. We are either becoming more foolish, we are becoming fools, or we are becoming more wise. We're becoming wise people. And that is happening whether you like it or not. That is why this study is so important for us, because something really crazy happened between last Sunday and this Sunday. In the last seven days, every single one of us in this room either became wiser or more foolish. That's already happened. You came in here today a little bit wiser than last Sunday or a little bit dumber. You did. All of us did. And next Sunday, the same thing will happen. Nobody is static. Nobody is locked in. We are all in flux. And as we look into this book, we are saying, God, how can you take me from being foolish, a fool, and move me to being a wise person? And that is a lifelong journey, but we need to understand what that really looks like. And so uh, how do you do that? How do I move from being wise to foolish? What well, depends on who you listen to. This week, if you were walking with us in our reading plan, you read uh, chapters 7, 8, and 9. And we're going to be looking at chapter 9 today. Uh, but the writer of Proverbs does something interesting. He personifies wisdom and folly. Instead of talking about wisdom and folly as concepts, the writer talks about them as women. Uh, personified women who are calling out and asking us to come and receive, to, to, to learn of them. And depending on which one of these women you listen to, whether you listen to folly or wisdom, that's going to define really the outcome of our life. And so look at chapter 9, if you will, uh, and let's look at these two calls from these two women and look what it says. Proverbs chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says this. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent her out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Now let's skip down to verse 13 of chapter 9, Proverbs chapter 9, 13. And we see a competing voice. Verse 10 says, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to all who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests 
are in the depths of Sheol. All right, so two women, two competing voices, a similar invitation. If you're simple, come in here. If you need sense, come in here. So they're talking to the same group, but they have very different messages. Each of these women is calling out from a high place in the town. And they're saying, I want you to come in. I want you to receive. But wisdom, we see a call towards insight of leaving simple ways behind. Whereas folly calls and simply says, hey, I got stolen water. It's great. I got stolen bread. Why don't you come and eat with me? And so which voice are we going to listen to? And, and furthermore, we might want to ask ourselves a question. Okay, so why are they personified this way? For the, the writer of Proverbs, why would they personify both folly and wisdom as these women calling out in the streets? Well, you might remember this from a couple weeks ago. But remember the context of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs was originally written uh, most likely for a boy's school, uh, for young men who were being trained to be leaders. That does not mean that all of us can't learn from this, whether you are young or old, whether you're male or female, but that was the original context for this book. And so imagine the original audience and understand that young men are usually looking for young women. This is what occupies their time. This is what occupies their brain. And so the writer here is now depicting wisdom and folly. He says, hey, as you were running around looking for a young woman and you're trying to decide, I mean, who am I going to live my life with? You've got to be discerning. You've got to make a choice. And there are going to be options here. Are you going to listen to the woman folly or are you going to listen to the woman wisdom? Now, look, if that sounds vaguely romantic, it is. Uh, he's saying, look, this is not just an add-on. This is not just a, a part of your studies. This is not just one subject among many that you're going to learn in school. No, this is your life. When you choose wisdom or folly, this is like choosing a maid. This is going to affect everything. This is your whole heart. Wisdom ought to be someone that you're thinking about constantly, somebody that you surrender your life to, somebody that you take in completely, somebody that you just can't get enough of. That's the type of pursuit we ought to have when it comes to wisdom. The problem is, for many of us, instead of pursuing wisdom in such a way, we instead pursue folly in such a way. And if you and I chase after folly, it is going to lead to our destruction. And so let's look at these both in turn. Let's look at foolishness and let's look at wisdom so we can really see what we're talking about. Uh, what do we mean when we talk about a fool? Uh, the fool is mentioned all throughout Proverbs. You're going to hear the fool mentioned in, in, in deplorable terms all throughout the book. Don't be a fool. But there's different types of fool. There's different types of foolishness, and, and nobody is, is foolish in every single way, but all of us are foolish in some way, and that's something we all need to recognize. All of us are foolish in some way. And there's different words that the book of Proverbs is going to use for these fools. Let's look at a few of them. The first one uh, is going to be the simple. You saw that here in chapter 9. Let, let the simple come in here. What do we mean by the simple? Well, when we use this word simple, uh, they really mean the gullible. Uh, these are people who lack sense. Uh, these are people who might seem very, very innocent on the outside. They might seem very good-hearted, even very religious at different points, uh, but they don't have any sense. They will believe anybody and anything. These are the people who will believe anything that is sold on television and will go buy it. And then are confused why it breaks in the first two days. These are people who listen to terrible financial advice. And make horrible decisions that can cripple or shipwreck their lives financially because they just don't think about it. They're simple. They're gullible. 
And to them, they might say, well, I'm just, I'm just trying to think best of everybody. I'm just trying to, to, be, to be simple. I'm just trying to love everybody. But, but you've got to have a little more intelligence than that. Matthew chapter 10, when he was sending his disciples out, he told them this. He says, I want you to be innocent as doves, and I want you to be as wise as serpents. That's interesting. We expect the first, but we don't expect the second. He says, be innocent as doves. Be righteous and pure in all of your ways. But you better be as wise as serpents, because I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Better keep your head up. Better keep your eyes open. I think for many Christians... Even though we might have good hearts and we're trying our best, we find ourselves being innocent as doves, but we forgot about being wise as serpents. We don't need to be simple in our understanding. Things are just a little bit more complex. Next, we have the scoffer. This is called the mocker in some translations. The scoffer will not listen to anybody. The scoffer loves to talk, and they will talk a lot, but the scoffer is not interested in your opinion. They are not interested in your reactions. They are not interested in your understanding. They are not interested in you, period. They are interested in you sitting down and listening to what they have to say. Because they got it all figured out. They love it. They say, man, I got this. I understand. I know what it is. They do not want to listen to constructive criticism. Uh, They don't want to get better at anything because they've got it all figured out. These are people on Facebook who are just going to town. I can't believe they said this. I will educate them, right? And they're going to tell everybody and they got to tell the world. Why? Because they got it figured out. Man, they do not want to listen. The scoffer, the mocker, they love to talk, but they hate to listen. They don't want to sit down and hear instruction. They don't want to hear any sort of correction. The scoffer just wants to talk. They want to mock, but they don't actually want to hear anything. Well, if I'm not willing to listen, I can't grow, and that makes you a fool. Thirdly, there's the sluggard. There are people in Proverbs who are called fools because they're just lazy. They just don't do anything. They just sit, right? They're not thinking about the future, or if they are, they're just thinking about pleasure, but they're not planning for it. They're not working towards it. They haven't recognized, hey, if there's going to be a retirement for me, i got to put something away for that retirement. Hey, if I want to advance in my career, I need to start here so I can actually get there. Hey, I don't need to wait 15 years trying to figure out who I am. Perhaps I should start now and kind of figure it out along the way, because if I wait 15 years, that's going to put me behind. They're not thinking about that. They're just lazy. They just lay around doing nothing. TikTok trends are a dime a dozen, but if you've seen one of the recent ones that have been going around, there's this TikTok trend called bed rotting. Have you heard about it? Uh, it's all these Gen Z folk who said, I'm just tired. Work is so hard. And so when they get a day off, they just stay in bed all day. I don't mean they stay home all day. I mean, they stay in bed all day. They do not move. Like they got their, their, their snacks, their remote control, blankets, and they're not moving, right? All day long, 15, 17 hours. Look, I, am, I love sitting down and watching a movie. That's great. If you've been in bed and been watching TV for longer than six hours, get up. Get up. You are lazy. Move at least to the couch for crying out loud. That's something, right? You can't be lazy. You can't be a sluggard. That is foolish. Don't blame it on the world if you're not actually willing to work. And then you get the wicked. All right, and this seems very self-explanatory, but the wicked are foolish. Wicked people are people who just love their carnal desires. Whatever they want to do, that's what they do. If they feel it, they do it. If they have a desire for it, they do it. Why? Because if I have a desire for it, it therefore must be right. These are people who follow their heart to the nth degree. 
If I have a desire for something, I must have it. And this is where you get theft. This is where you get uh, gluttony. This is where you get adultery. Uh, this is where you get slander, excessive anger. If I feel it, I got to vent it. I got to go get what I want. And you see that in the call of folly here. Look at verse 17 and notice what it says. It says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. The bread and water thing doesn't sound nearly as good as wisdom. Wisdom seems to have like a feast all prepared. Uh, Folly's got bread and water, but her call is, it's like, yeah, but it's stolen. And stolen water is sweet. It's got that relish. It's, it's, it's what? It's, it's, it's naughty. It's different. I stole it. Nobody ever, you're not supposed to see it or have it. This is what, what I've got. It gives that, 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 that little kind of zing that you're not going to get anywhere else. Don't you desire that? That aspect of stolen, it's, it's stealing things is always a cheat. Th- stealing things is always a, it's a shortcut. It's saying, I want something, but I don't want to pay for it. I want something, but I don't want to actually earn it. I just want it now, so I'll take it. All right, well, that's just following my carnal desires. That's, that's making this terrible assumption that my heart, my desires are always good, always righteous. It ignores the fact that my heart is wicked, my heart is broken, my heart is sinful. And yes, my own heart will lead me astray. All of my desires cannot be trusted. But the wicked person says, no, always trust your feelings. Even if you have to steal, even if you have to slander, even if you're bed rotting, even if you're doing whatever, breaking rules, it does not matter. You should be wicked. Just go get whatever you want. In chapter 7, you read about the adulteress, and she sounds very much like the woman Folly, where she's roaming through the streets, just grabbing the simple and dragging them in, enticing them. They don't have to do any work at all. She's just saying, just listen to your carnal desires, and everything will be fine. But look here in verse 18. But that young man does not know that the dead are in her house, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. All right, and so these are the fools. These are foolish people. And look, again, none of us is foolish in all of those ways. Uh, but all of us is foolish in some way. You and I might be able to look at the foolishness of others. You might have even heard some of those descriptions ago. Just laugh at people like that. It says, I'm not like that at all. But please don't make the opposite assumption that you and I are not foolish at all. Because that's a blind spot. And if you cannot see your own foolishness, you are headed to destruction. Every single one of us is foolish in some way. And if you don't understand that, you can't actually be wise. That's the paradox of Proverbs, by the way. Foolish people think they're wise, but truly wise people understand how foolish they are. It's paradox, but that's the way it actually works. And that should make sense to us. It really does. I learned this through education. Um, I don't know about you, but when I graduated high school, I knew everything. Did y'all everything. I had it all figured out. I graduated high school. I knew everything. I knew what to do. knew exactly what I was going to do, where I was going to go, how it was all going to work out. I knew everything. Four years later, I graduate from college and I was a little nervous, right? I, I was not nearly as confident. They were going to make me go out into the real world. I had to get a job. I did not know exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, and, and so, you know, I'm getting out there. I'm going to try some things, but, but I'm a little bit nervous, not as confident. Years later, I go and get a postdoctoral degree. I get a seminary degree. And when I graduated from seminary, I was terrified. I literally said, why are you letting me graduate? Don't let me out there. Why would you do that? You are terrible people. Why would you unleash me upon the world? I know nothing. 
Now, this is, this is terrible, right? That's 20 years of education. How come I feel dumber at the end of it than when I began? How come every degree I got, I felt dumber? Because the wiser you get, you realize just how little you know. The wiser you get, you realize just how much more there is out there that you don't really have any idea about. This is why the wise are constantly seeking more wisdom. This is why the wise are constantly seeking to know more about the Lord. And it's also why foolish people don't want to listen to anybody. Because they don't know how dumb they are. They don't know how foolish they are. And if you don't want to listen to somebody, that is absolutely a sign of foolishness. If you were here today going, well, this is kind of fun. I don't know if I really need it or not. Fool! It's you! But guess what? It's me. It's us. It's everybody. We are all fools. And until you understand that, you are in unbelievably dangerous ground. So that's the fool. But now let's talk about the wise. Okay, who are the wise in the situation? Well, it's interesting. Uh, Wisdom here in chapter 9, she says the exact same thing. She says, whoever is simple, let him come in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, it's the same thing that foolishness says, but her call is different. She says, come eat of my bread, drink of the wine that I have mixed, leave your simple ways and live, walk in the way of insight. Now, wisdom actually gets a longer speech. If you read chapter 8 this week, you actually get a much longer speech from wisdom. She also has a short speech in chapter 1. So this is now a consistent theme where wisdom is calling out. And says, I want you to learn of me. I can show you the way of wisdom. I can show you the way of life. I can show you the way of blessings if you will simply seek after me. Uh, Flip back to chapter 8, if you will. And let's actually look at that for just a moment. A little bit of a sidebar. Um, Chapter 8 is probably the most controversial chapter in all of the book of Proverbs. And one of the most debated chapters in all of the Bible. Because when you get this personification of wisdom... Uh, There's some interesting similarities between wisdom and Jesus. In fact, if you read it this week, you might have read chapter 8 and said, hang on a second. A lot of the things that wisdom is saying, this sounds like the very same things that that Jesus is saying. Uh, And so actually look at some of the things uh, that wisdom does here. Uh, Wisdom here in the middle. Uh, Let's let's look at uh, verse 22 and notice what it says. 8.22 says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped. Before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made the firm skies above. When he established the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worksman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. Rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. It's interesting. Here's wisdom saying she was there at creation. Wisdom was there at the creation of the world. We know that all things were made through Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus was here before the creation of the world. In him, all things hold together. And so we see some similarities here. But but we need to be very careful not to press this too far. People throughout history have taken this and pushed it way too far. There's actually a guy named Arius back in the third century 
who reading this passage and assuming, yes, this is talking about Jesus, let's just take it all literally, but also taking it literally, says, well, it says that the Lord created him. And so if the Father created wisdom, then the Father created Jesus, which means that he wasn't here forever, which means that Jesus isn't God. See how that goes? If I take this literally, well, then Jesus could only have been created. He wasn't there from, from the very essence. He's not inside the Godhead, so he must not be God himself. And there was a huge controversy around this where everybody has said, no, no, that's not true at all. Jesus, yes, was there at creation. Yes, all things were made through him, but, but he's in Christ. Yeah, he's in the Lord. He is part of the Godhead. Furthermore, that argument just doesn't make sense. It doesn't fall apart. How could God create wisdom? It'd be like as if wisdom wasn't there. How can you create wisdom if you don't have any wisdom? How can you make wisdom if there's, you, have, you need wisdom to make wisdom? It doesn't make any sense. And so look, we need to remember we're reading poetry. We're reading wisdom literature. So what are we really reading about? Well, what you're seeing is, is a personification of an attribute of God himself. You're seeing a personification of an attribute of God. This, this, this woman wisdom is this attribute of God himself. That, like, wisdom was this aspect that the Lord is using to guide the world that brings delight to the world, that, that creates everything in its order. But we don't need to push that too far and say, well, this is Jesus himself. No, this is an aspect of God that is being personified. But now let's look at what wisdom says. Look at verses 34 and 35. Uh, just a couple verses down from there, eight, chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. Look what he says there. Here, it says, Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. I'm going to read that one more time. Verse 34. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. All right, so the path to wisdom is very different from the path of folly. Folly is going to appeal to our carnal desires, but that doesn't really work with wisdom. Wisdom says, no, if you want to find life, you're going to have to chase after me. You're going to have to dig for me as for buried treasure. You're going to have to wait for me. You're going to have to learn of me in all these different ways. There's a little more work involved when it comes to wisdom, but the payoff is huge. The dividends last for your entire life. Instead of finding yourself in the house of death, instead of finding everything falling apart, no, when we give ourselves over to wisdom, what we find is life. And the wise are described in very different terms in the book of Proverbs than the foolish. Instead of being a scoffer or a sluggard or, or simple, you find different words for the wise. Words like upright and prudent and righteous and diligent. These are the ways of the upright. These are the ways of the righteous. Instead of being a sluggard, we are diligent. Instead of being wicked, we are righteous, right? Instead of being simple, we find ourselves being prudent, discerning. I see what's really going on. Instead of finding myself constantly tripped up in my own folly, instead, no, I find myself succeeding because I see what is actually going on. I can practically navigate life. But if you want that kind of wisdom, it requires effort. We have to listen. We have to watch. We have to wait. We have to dig. We have to spend effort to learn and to gain wisdom. Now, why is that? How come wisdom can't be easy like folly? Wouldn't that be better? 
Wouldn't it be better if we just had two options and we were just able to pick wisdom and it was easy? How come we have to work so much to get wisdom? You might have even said this before. Said, Adam, look, I'm chasing after the Lord. I'm trying to, to follow him. I'm trying to do the right thing. Why can't he just tell me what to do plainly? You ever done that? Adam, I'm praying about this. Can't he, can't he just tell me what to say to this person? Can't he just tell me what to do with this job? Can't he just tell me what I need to do? Why can't he just tell me? It would be so simple if he would just tell me and then I would go do it. It would be easier. How come I got to work so hard to gain this wisdom? If God loves me, how come he won't just tell me? It's a fair question, isn't it? I've asked it. I bet you have. So why won't the Lord just give it to us? Well, there's a couple of things here. There's a couple of assumptions inside that question we probably need to look at. The first assumption is this. We assume that if God told us what to do, we would actually do it. We assume that if God just told me what to do, I would actually go do it. Is that actually true? No! Because guess what? He's already told us what to do. And how many times do we ignore what he says? How many times has he written it down? We've already read the commands. We know exactly what to do. We know exactly what he said, and we still don't want to do it. It's not so simple as just say, well, let me just tell you, just go say this, and it'll be fine. Just go do this, and it'll be fine, because we're not following him now. It just doesn't work like that. It's not so simple that God can just tell you. Instead, no, the Lord has to take us on a path where we understand him, where we want to do what he does, where we think about things the way he does. And that requires change. That requires work. He can't just simply tell us what to do. Here's the second assumption. The second assumption is that we need to understand what God is doing for it to work on us. We need to understand what God is doing for it to work on us. That the only way we can really grow in wisdom is if we understand the process. Here's something we need to come to grips with. God doesn't need to explain it to us to actually help us along. And in fact, sometimes explaining it to us wouldn't help. He just needs to teach us. And we need to learn. You could see this back with the Israelites uh, in their journey. Many of you may know the story, but God found the Israelites. They were in slavery. God brings them out of slavery. He puts them, he says, it puts them in a desert and says, hey, I'm going to take you to the promised land. They are stoked. They are excited about this. It's about a two-month journey to the promised land. And God keeps them in the desert for two years. Now, why would he do that? Why would he keep them in the desert for two years? Everybody knows the way to the promised land. They know exactly where they're going. They know the path to where they're going. And God just kind of wanders them around in the desert. Why would he do that? Well, later on, he tells them. He said, there's lots of reasons. And he said, number one, you guys aren't big enough yet to actually inhabit the land. If I give it to you now, you're not actually going to be big enough to actually keep it. Here's the second thing. Y'all don't know how to be a people. You've been slaves for 400 years. You don't know how to be a nation yet. You're not even organized. Here's the third thing. You don't know how to follow me. You don't know how to chase after me. And so I'm going to give you manna every day that you're going to have to go out and get and learn how to follow me. Because until you learn how to follow me, you're never going to actually be able to enjoy the promised land. You'll lose it. And so God takes them on a journey of growth that they don't fully understand. And they really don't understand because when they finally get their shot, they fail. And they end up in 40 years in the desert. Sometimes God takes us on paths that you and I will not understand. Sometimes he's just going to say, trust me. Sometimes he's going to say, just do what I say. And we may not get to understand how he's doing that or what we're learning in the moment. But his ways are always wise. Wisdom. If I'm chasing after wisdom, 
I wait daily at her gate. I, I seek her daily. I'm digging for, for this treasure, for this wisdom, as for buried treasure. This is the only way you can truly find this. By the way, Jesus says this with his disciples. You ever notice that? Jesus calls his disciples, and by the end of their time with them, they're, they're casting demons out of people, they're doing miracles, but they don't do that day one. For the first year, they just follow them around. They just hang out with them. They just live with them, and they have no idea what is going on. But God just trains them day in and day out. That's how you learn wisdom. You have to chase after him. You have to, you have to dig for him. You have to learn from him. If you want wisdom, it's going to require some work. And so, look, if we want to be wise people and not foolish people, there's a few different things that will be helpful for us to, th- uh, help for us to learn. The first one is this. If we really want to grow in wisdom, we need to admit our own foolishness. We need to admit our own foolishness. We just need to admit that we're fools. We need to find the places in our life where we're not wise yet. You may be legitimately wise in certain areas of your life, but I guarantee there's an area in your life, in my life, in all of our lives where we're still foolish. You can't see it. It's like the nose on your face. Everybody else sees it, but you don't see it. And so you say, I need to admit my own foolishness. God, where am I being foolish? You say, Adam, how would I know? Well, look for the places you consistently fail. If you have been fired from six jobs and you're bound, you're just convinced, you know, it's that boss. That boss is terrible. I had a terrible boss. Six bosses, they're all terrible. If you've been fired by six bosses, there's only one common denominator. It's not your boss. It's you. Could it possibly be the case that you're bringing something to the table? That you are a part of the problem. If you have just wrecked all the relationships of your family members and nobody in your family wants to talk to you, could it possibly be that maybe you're part of the problem? That maybe you're bringing things to the table that are also short-circuiting things. You at least have to be open to that idea if you want to grow. If you want to grow in wisdom, I got to admit my own foolishness. I got to recognize, hey, listen, I don't get everything well. I need the Lord. By the way, this is salvation. No one gets saved until we admit our own sinfulness. I mean, if you're here and you go, man, listen, I'm just a good person. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm a really good person. I'm sure God's just thrilled to have me on his team. You need to wake up. Because we don't get saved that way. We don't get saved because we're such good people. We got needed saving because we were fools. Because we were sinful and because we were broken and we could not save ourselves. And when we call out to the Lord, we don't say, God, I'll be better. We don't say, God, I promise I'll make it up to you. We don't say, God, it's going to be worth it for you. We simply say, I'm a sinner, save me. I need help. I am broken and I need help. And the God who loves you reaches down in our foolishness, takes us, cleanses us, forgives us, and gives us life. So if you want to progress on that life, it starts with admitting our foolishness. Do you know the places where you need to grow? Do you know the places where you are foolish? Ask your friends, pray about these things. Say, God, could you please show me my foolishness so that I can actually grow in wisdom? So it starts with admitting our foolishness. Here's the second thing. We need to listen through Bible study and prayer. We need to listen through Bible study and prayer. Look back at chapter 9. Uh, chapter 8, by the way. Stay in chapter 8. Uh, and look what it says in chapter 34. It says, Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting besides my door. What, what is wisdom saying? Listen for me. 
I'm going to call out. I'm going to say things. Don't let my voice get drowned out by all of the, the chaos of this world. I need you to listen to me. I need you to watch for me. I need you to wait for me. Well, this is how we grow in wisdom. We listen for the Lord. We hear him. We hear what he says. And so here's a question. Do you daily make time to sit down and listen for the wisdom of the Lord? Do you make time for prayer? Do you make time to read the Bible? Do you make time to, to listen to him? Because if we don't, what that is saying is we're foolish. Prayerlessness is absolutely an indicator of foolishness. Prayerlessness is absolutely an indicator of foolishness. Look, this has happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. But have you ever found yourself gone like two, three days and you haven't prayed? You just wake up one day and go, wow, I haven't prayed in the past couple days. Do you, do you realize what that says? You and I went two to three days thinking this. I'm good. I got it. I do not need wisdom from on high. I understand how to navigate life. I understand how to get through the world. I know how to do all things well. I can figure this out on my own. I have enough wisdom at my own disposal or through Google to actually help me do all the things that I need to do. I don't need to talk to the God who created everything, the God who is all wise, the God who knows everything. I got this. Why would I pray? We don't believe that. We don't say it out loud, but this is what our actions show. When you and I don't, we, we never make time for prayer. We don't make time for consistent Bible study. It is revealing an attitude of our heart that says, I don't actually need wisdom. And that is the attitude of a fool. And so we need to make Bible study and prayer a consistent practice. By the way, that's why we're doing this reading plan over the course of this, this six weeks. Over six weeks, you'll read the entire book of Proverbs. It's doing more than that. Hey, if you follow along with us as a church, five days a week, we're reading a chapter a day. It's not just getting you through the text. It's not just giving you content. It's also building a habit in you. You can say, hey, everybody else is doing it. I want to do this with everybody else. But it's building a daily habit of sitting down and saying, I need to hear from the Lord. I need to grow in Him. I need to grow in wisdom. And so we make a consistent practice of listening for the Lord. I've got to listen through Bible study and prayer. Here's the third thing. We've got to be diligent in it. We've got to be diligent in it. Look at verse 34 yet again. It says, Blessed is the one who listens to me watching daily at my gates. Gaining wisdom is not a one-time affair. Gaining wisdom is not something that happened overnight. Gaining wisdom doesn't happen in just in one setting. There's no such thing as drive-through wisdom. You can't just say, I'm just going to go pick up a little wisdom. And wrong. You just eat it on the way. Oh, no, no, got to get on and do your thing. There's no such thing as drive-through wisdom. You want wisdom? you got to sit down. you got to have a feast. Look at what wisdom is offering. She says, look, man, I, I, I slaughtered the beast. We've mixed the wine. We've made the bread. We've got this whole, whole thing set up. It's going to be a whole ordeal. This is going to be a seven-course meal. Man, come, sit, enjoy. Man, you got to drink deep, and you have to do this consistently if you want to see change. And look, I can't tell you how much this diligence is important. Because remember what we said at the beginning, that we're in flux? It's possible for foolish people to become wise. Please hear me when I say this. It's possible for wise people to become foolish. It is absolutely possible for wise people to become foolish. Take the author of this book as an example. Because Solomon, in his early days, knows how foolish he is and he asks for wisdom. God, can you just give me wisdom? God, I want to rule your people well. Give me wisdom. God does so. 
He becomes what everybody says is the wisest man alive, if not the wisest man who has ever lived. But when you walk his life, read it. It's all there in Scripture. When you read it in Kings and Chronicles and you see the life of Solomon, what you find is, and later on in life, he takes tons of wives, he worships foreign gods, he does the exact opposite of what God says a godly ruler should do. And he abandons the wisdom that God gives him. Here's where you and I need to be careful. Just because you are wise in your 20s doesn't mean you're wise now. Or you are wise in your 40s doesn't mean you're wise now. Or you're wise in your 50s doesn't mean you're wise in your 70s. It's absolutely possible for us to go from wise to go back to being foolish. So you got to be diligent and say, God, today, for the new challenges I face, for the things I've never seen before, for this age that I've never been before, God, would you give me wisdom? Would you point me in the right direction? Would you show me life? you got to be diligent or it will not last. And we'll find ourselves drifting back into foolishness. And here's the final thing, though. If we're going to find wisdom, we have to put it into practice. It is not enough to hear the words of the Lord. We actually have to do them. It is not enough to come and hear a sermon. We actually have to do something with it. It's not enough to say, I have read the entire Bible through. we got to do something with it. It's not enough to say, I have got these godly friends around me. Yes, but do I live like they live? I can't simply be aware or knowledgeable about wisdom. I have to live it out. Only then do we become wise people. And look, this is something that Solomon doesn't say. This is something that Jesus himself actually says. Because you see, hundreds of years after this book is written, and hundreds of years after Solomon, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes. And he teaches and gives us wisdom. He gathers thousands of people on, the, on a mountainside, and he gives this Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't read it recently, go back and read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you want to feel convicted, you want to find out whether we're being wise or foolish, go read just the Sermon on the Mount and ask yourself, am I doing this? But look at the very last thing he says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Look at this. This is Matthew chapter 7. It says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Did you notice that? That Jesus is talking about the wise and the foolish? Did you notice that? That he begins talking in poetic language? He repeats the two things. And did you hear that? Where Jesus doesn't say, if you hear the words of wisdom, he says, if you hear the words of mine, my words. Proverbs 8 doesn't give us a full embodiment of wisdom, but Jesus Christ does. In Jesus Christ, you see the true embodiment of wisdom. You see the true embodiment of full wisdom. And Jesus says, listen to me. Now it's not the woman wisdom or the woman folly. Now it's Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, calling out to you and says, if you want to be wise, man, listen to me. Take these words of mine and don't just give me platitudes. Don't just tell me how great they were. you got to put them into practice. 
You have to live them out because if you hear them and you do them, you're going to be safe. Even though storms will come, this world is broken. Even though the wind is going to blow and the the waters are going to rise because this world is chaotic and sinful, your house will remain secure. Why? Because you have built your house on me and my words. But if you hear these words of mine, notice that's the same, but you don't do them. Your house is going to fall because the same winds are coming and the same waves are coming. The chaos of this life is coming and your life will be destroyed. If you want to build your life on your own wisdom, you can. But Jesus is saying, I'm trying to show you the future. I'm showing you where this goes. And the only path to life comes through me. And so the question is, who are you listening to this morning? Not simply the woman wisdom or the woman folly. Are you listening to Jesus Christ? Are you listening to the God who made you? He's calling out to you. And you might say, but Adam, I don't know how. He'll show you. You say, I don't have the power. He'll help you. If you say, Adam, I've been foolish. Here's the great news of the gospel. Even for all of us fools, God says, I'm not asking you to make yourself wise before I love you. No, in your foolishness, I love you. And if you submit to me and listen to me, watching daily at my gates, digging for me as for buried treasure, guess what? I will forgive you, help you, change you, empower you that you may actually live a life of wisdom that call is not some call from an ancient book it's the call being made right now today in this moment to you who you're going to listen to you're listening right now you did this past week you'll do it this week who are you listening to look at the future look at where it's going look at what wisdom will tell you And hear the call of Jesus Christ who says, don't be a fool. Instead, let me make you wise. You will do that when you find your life in me. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Who are you listening to this morning? And remember, if you're... If right now, if you're thinking to yourself as you're praying, you're beginning to pray, man, I just, I got to send this sermon to so-and-so. They need to hear this. That is the attitude of a fool because that's arrogance and it's pride and it's missing the fact that it's not this other person who's fool, it's me. It's you, it's us. What's he saying to you? He's not trying to come down and he was trying to show you the path of life. There, there is no shortcut to make sin work. There's no shortcut that makes sin blessing. Ever. It's fun for a time, and then it kills you. But Jesus offers you life. He says wisdom is sometimes hard. It takes effort, a lot more work. Doesn't seem as fun up front. But the blessings are forever both in this life and in the life to come. Jesus is speaking to you. He's offering you wisdom. He's offering you life. And he does not care how many times you've fallen, how many times you've been foolish. He's still calling for you. He's still offering that to you. He says, no, you actually can become wise. You can listen to me. I wonder if today you just need to admit that foolishness. Just repent. Don't make excuses for it. Just admit it. Own it and repent. Turn away and say, God, help me. 
God, forgive me. God, God, help me with this, this one aspect of, of my life. I just refuse to change on, refuse to budge on, I refuse to listen to anybody on. Maybe today is the day we finally listen and say, God, okay, I need to listen. Maybe I do need to change. Maybe I do need to see that. God, will you show me my foolishness so that I could be truly wise in you? Maybe here, here today, you've never really surrendered to that. You don't know him. You, you've, you've never fully said to Jesus, Jesus, I need you. You may like him. You may find him helpful. But you've never seen the fact that you are in full danger of destruction. And there's a God who loves you. And even in our foolishness came and gave his life to save you. Maybe today we just put our trust in him. That fear of the Lord, that trust in him completely. Maybe today is the day we finally surrendered everything to him. You can do that now, even by faith. Just lift that up to the Lord. It says, God, I surrender this all to you. We're about to sing it and say, God, you've got my surrender. God, I give it all to you. I'm not holding anything back anymore. I choose to put my trust in you and I'm going to stop trusting in myself and see what wisdom the Lord brings. So Father, thank you. Thank you for your patience for a fool like me and for all of us in this room, for all the different ways we've been stubborn or, or lazy or wicked or uh, just whatever, Lord, just we cover the gamut right here in this room. And yet you're still calling. You still cry out and ask us to listen. Father, forgive us for the time we've been distracted and then fell prey to the, the call of folly. And instead, Lord, right here this morning, can you give us ears to hear that we might follow after you. Help us, Lord, to repent. Help us to listen. Lord, we choose you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand up with me if you will. Let's sing this song as a response to the Lord. These altars are open. I'd love to pray with you up front, but let's respond to him by faith right now.